of two eyes, huh? Do you understand the game a bit? Yeah, have a look. I'm not saying anything to you in particular because I know you're not too accurate with your reporting. That, that's what okay, you're paid so you're for. Saying it. I should resign. So you're saying I should resign. I think that's you should, your opinion. Yeah. Is that right? That's my opinion. Okay, fine. Are you going to resign then? No, of course I'm not going to resign. I simplify things next time. <laughs> Live from sunny Havada. Welcome to the National Curriculum. Josh Parrish here with Joey Lynch. Say hello, Joey. Hello, Joey. Nick Devano, say hello, Nick. A real test of Nick's internet lag. <laughs> <laughs> Off to a oh, great no, no, start, no, 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 that's that's actually my audio. It wasn't my internet. Uh, hello, Josh. I, I'm here. I'm here. Sorry <laughs> oh, about <God>. that. <laughs> <laughs> and Ante, you could chalk back, Ante. Neznate mi kako mi je lipo biti u domovini sad u Hvaru. I'm just, I'm so happy to be back in the motherland in Hvaru, guys. It's, it's <laughs> so we've decided Young boy couldn't to... come. We couldn't fit him in our carry-on baggage, so young boy couldn't come. <laughs> we've resolved to never watch another A-League game again and uh, just live out our days on the Dalmatian Islands. You know, it's just, it's just beautiful out here. No, actually, that's what Ante Milicic has decided to do after uh, leaving MacArthur at the end of the season. He doesn't want to know about the A-League. He's not going to watch the A-League. Joey, you've got the quote there for us? Well, I've got better than the quote, mate. I've got the entire video of his answer that he gave post-defeat to the Newcastle Jets, so I can play that. I haven't even got on the plane, and you're talking about coming back. I'll be perfectly honest, I hope not, and I don't have any instant uh, plans to come up. You know what? I want to, uh, I want to go to Croatia... You know, my background is from a lovely island called Hvar. I don't want to look at a laptop. I don't want to watch games. I don't want to take phone calls from players, coaches, agents. I want to watch teams that I enjoy watching as a fan. I want to watch good quality games at a nice time slot of the day if I do watch football. I want to cheer on Croatia in November in the World Cup and hopefully the Socceroos from distance. But... I have no intention at all to to um, to look for another job or, or put my name out there or, or network or have any thoughts of, of coming back. And if I wanted to stay, I had a job here. If I wanted a coach, I could. But I can't give that commitment to the club and this group of players when there's nothing in me. I, I, I can't go on a holiday now and think that I'm coming back or I'm going to go work again. Otherwise, it's not a holiday. It's not a break for me. I can't have another assignment in me. I'm I'm done. I'm on empty. Wow. The best bit, you people wouldn't have been able to see that. The best bit of that was just seeing Ante just lose his shit <laughs> as he heard that answer for the first time. Ma, Ma, I'm not even on a plane, mate. You're asking me when I'm going to come back. That's, that's what coaching know. MacArthur does to a man. <laughs> hey, you know what? It was after the um, it was after, it was a game last week, uh, and he just completely loses it at at the fourth official in, in the mother tongue, and I was like, his his transition, Ante Milic has just transitioned into Balkan football terrorist this season. Like, despite how depressing the football can be at times, has been fantastic. Like, it, it's it's just I, I'm lean, I know I'm leaning into the meme here, but and I know I made this as a serious point earlier in the season. But we've gotten to see the real Ante Milicic this season, and it's it's 
in one now coming back to make a serious point it's in one respect funny but it's in another respect lamentable the fact that he just doesn't give a shit anymore is this the batman line you either die a hero or live long (laughs) enough to see yourself become the villain i think no well I'll, i'll use a joey lynchism and say multiple things can be true I think he's become Pavlov's coach now. Every time he hears a cowbell from here on in, he's going to have like a principal skin of Vietnam War flashback. <laughs> but you know what? I will say, as someone who watches a lot of High and L, it's 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 a pretty good football. Like there is there is there are one or two like bona fide ballers in each team, and even the bad teams there are like. But the thing I reckon the thing that Ante Milicic loves let's say, about Heinel, is that the fact that they're just as big terrorists as they are, the coaches in the Heinel. Like, they are just as pragmatic. They are just as reliant on individuals to create things. But, you know what? Heinel, I, I, I enjoy it. I get it. I get it. And life goals for Auntie Milicic, man. Kudos can I, to you. I can wish I, I could just do say, it. just Googling Havad for the first time after he... <laughs> That place looks unbelievable. Like I would go off the grid Depends if I go. lived there. Depends I, where you go. I, well, obviously, like you, you know what? I'll be honest. Photos, with all due respect, I, I would love it. The photo, the photos are nice, but you don't want to go, you know, to hide at a certain time of the year and hear more Australian accents than the Croatian language. I That's mean, the worst no... thing about going in a European summer. <laughs> about anywhere in, in the Mediterranean, it's like going to Bali at any time of the year. You're gonna be. You're not going on a holiday. You're just going to Australia. It's like going to Byron. Country, it's like going to Byron Bay in a different setting, basically. I mean, it's yeah. it's no Blackpool, but I'll guess it. I'll guess <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, to talk about the game today, this is probably a fairer result than you know the smash and grab that they that they made earlier in the season against the box office Jets. Um, despite the fact that the Jets didn't really create enough to capitalize in the first half, it was probably just, it was still pretty reflective of the complexion of the game and you know how MacArthur weren't really get out, able to get out of their own half and outside of transition. Um, yeah, Jets dominated. Hopefully, we could have seen more of that earlier in the season, but yeah. Yeah, it was notable after the game, Arthur Pappas, you know, I mentioned the fact that I think Bulls had 23 shots, but Arthur Pappas was quick to point out that barely any of them came from actually inside the penalty area. And I mean, yeah, yeah Mike Wyatt, Mike Weir, Big Mike, we love Big Mike on this show, um, TNT approved goalkeeper, Big Mike Weir. I think he had to make two sharp saves. For the one in the first half from Apu Janu when he comes down the left, cuts inside and shoots, and the other one where he just told Craig Noon where, where exactly he could stick his um, chip attempt. But other than that, yeah, Big Mike, he had stuff to do, but he didn't really have to do anything that would demonstrate his quality as a goalkeeper. It was comfortable from the Jets. Yeah. It, kind of, it kind of felt like I might be reading too much into it, allowing narrative to cloud my football analytica, but it kind of felt like the Jets were just playing with a bit of freedom. Like they had a bunch of players out sick. Um, so they internally, maybe the expectations weren't there. They couldn't play finals anymore. There wasn't that. Just felt like they were a bit looser. And you could see what happened as a result. 
Just in terms of, for those that aren't familiar and haven't seen the stats, you guys are very much on track in terms of the XG. I mean, Newcastle 11 shots, but 2.33 XG. MacArthur 24, 1.14. Interestingly enough, though, we speak about the possession stats. Newcastle 58% possession, MacArthur 42 so it goes to show that, hey, when the Jets actually have the ball, they look to try and actually play proper football. It does work out for them. So that, that actually was a good sign. And you mentioned the thing about you know not having anything to play for. Sometimes without the pressure of actually playing for finals, it just gives the teams a bit more freedom to actually play without that clouding over them. So I wouldn't be surprised if they take another result or two from their last two games as well and potentially you know create another or play spoiler to maybe Western United or the Mariners uh, this week as well. Well, I mean, where has it all gone wrong for MacArthur? Because we, we at the start of the season, they were top, and we were talking about the, I guess, ratings doomsday scenario of a MacArthur Western United Grand Final. Joey I mean, I, I can give you the official Ante Milicic line. Um, Ante Milicic, I asked about. He said this numerous times throughout the season, so I asked him about it. He firmly points towards the thirty-seven day gap they had between fixtures between Boxing Day and February 1 when the league was ripped apart by COVID as the turning point. He says that his side never really recovered from that, both in a momentum sense, and he also says that according to the data that he has seen aerobically, a lot of the players never um, recovered from that, and injuries added up, the congested schedule added up, and they were nowhere near it. So that that's the official line from the Bulls camp as to why they fell away and have now missed finals in their sophomore campaign. Let's not forget the official anti-Yorkic line at the start of the season that the regression to the mean was inevitable. And, that's you know, true. It, that's it's, true. It's, it's, you it's wrote funny. an article specifically about this and on ESPN. You, yeah, and look, I... When when we talk about it's funny considering the data that uh, you know Ante Milicic presented to the media talking about you know aerobically outside of how that transfers to you know how that manifests in what in a footballing sense and the reality the reality is Macarthur gave up high quality looks and didn't create high quality looks in on the other end and you know that was just as evident today they had a lot of you know they had a lot of shots but. You know, sporadic shot location, especially in comparison to the Jets. Um, they're just they're just shooting from really you know low quality angles and, and locations, quite simply. And that's that's a pure consequence of how they don't function in position. I mean, you just need almost half their goals came from dead balls. That tells well, you everything you that, need to know. What was that stat the other week? It was like forty one percent of goals came from game from dead I think balls. It, I think it's risen upwards at that point actually after that. So like Bro, the dead ball. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I cut Nick DeMano off. And he's frozen. No, I was just going to say, I mean, did somebody turn the no, mic no, 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 on? No, 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 I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. No, no, no one's turned the microwave on. Uh, no, just a, just a genuine question, guys. I mean, we played this game a couple of weeks ago about, you know, contracts expiring and players that might not be there next season. We obviously, we won't really know we don't know who the coach is going to be. I mean, what they want to do, who they want to keep. But they're a team as well, just having a quick look. They've got a lot of guys out coming out of contract at the end of this season. So do we want to run through a couple names and see, you know, who you guys think that should be kept around? Because there's a lot of high NRI names. Like, that's one thing that I think a lot of people, 
when they did their early season predictions, they looked at MacArthur's attacking stocks in particular and went, yep, this team is too good not to make finals, but didn't look at how poorly balanced uh, and poorly structured this squad was. So let's start off with a couple. Um, first name that pops up, Tommy Orr. Tom, no. Tommy Orr did score two amazing goals this year. That's yep. But the fact that we're talking about right. like their amazing goals and Craig Noon's amazing goals just, just shows how well it kind of like proves our point about their lack of creativity. Like, like when mm. they were they were denied the dead ball, it took absolute worldies for them to find the target. Okay. I mean, I and they do the they other. do take a lot of shots from outside mm. the box. Just generally, like their shot counts are always so high, but they're always in massive U shapes. Uh, so they just, yeah, they lack a bit of penetration. Yeah. Um, some some of the other names here. So Philip Curto, I mean, he was signed last minute after Adam Federici, you know, retired on the eve of the season. I mean, yes, no, he's still 30. Not a fan of burning any foreign slots on a goalkeeper unless you absolutely cannot upgrade anywhere else. And I'm not sure Philip Curto is as good a keeper as when he arrived in Australia. Mm. And I think some of the injuries the, that he's had may have had some impact on that. I mean, it could be a case if he gets one more concussion. like Yeah, exactly. This is uh, an interesting one, guys. We've barely even seen him since he's gone to MacArthur. Tommy Urich. Well, I mean, if he doesn't play, what's the point of having him on the books? You know, he's not like, a participant. Barely, anyway. I mean... Let's look at who they've got off contract this season, though. Let's like run them yeah, all. This, off. They, they, Mariapa, they, they, Mariapa nice, Meredith, Jovanovic, Janu, Much, or Golets, Kurto, Juric, uh, Shushnyar, Rose, McGing, Schumann, Mombwa, Toure, Rus, and that's all for this season. That, that's all. That's a lot. Of, there are a lot of players, and the only ones. With on multi-year deals are Noon de Silva, Uskok, Najar, Holman, Rose, Davila. Um, and is that that that's Lockie Rose, correct? Not Liam yes. Rose. Yeah, yeah Lockie Rose. So. Yeah. Got Alan Riley Liam, coming Liam through Rose, on the yeah. YouTube comments. And remember, you can leave the comments on YouTube. It's easier for us to display them on the stream if you do. Uh, Alan Riley saying, I blame Milicic on Craig Noon's total regression from the league's most creative player last season to a glorified left back this year. Well, he was obviously uh, often a He was a cross right What's back. the difference? He was a cross yeah. at City anyway. Like, but, I mean... But the fact that he played significant chunks of the season at right wing back, where he had to cut in and narrow the field in the position where you have to provide width, uh, that just infuriated me. Every time I watched MacArthur, it was so predictable. You know, he's not Iron Robin. It's not going to work every time. So every time they stuck him on the left-hand side, they look better. And so uh, wing-back, wing-back I don't have a problem with, but right-wing-back yeah, yeah, for yeah. an incredibly one-footed player is a completely illogical decision from Ante Milicic. And he oh, kept not, doing not, it for... Not necessarily one-footed, but not necessarily... But someone who's like... Who basically shits themselves whenever they're presented with an opportunity to go one-on-one at a vendor. Like it's a, it's fine to you know play an inverted wing back, let's say, but someone who's not really inclined to cut in and shoot. Like, how many times would Noon, let's say, go back and then try to whip it in anyway? Because you know he's left himself little else in terms of options. Um, and even when he was at City, like a lot of his creation 
I guess, was a consequence of the fact that City had so much more possession and he's just bombarding crosses in, um, especially with, um, and, you know, we, we talked about this with City as well, like how prominent the weak side winger and the weak side midfielder became and how prominent, you know, Conor Metcalf became in such a, such a system and how he's had to adjust as a consequence of, you know, Noon not being able to, like, not having an outlet to cross spam anymore in Noon. Um like it, it was fine. Him, you know, like I, I don't think that he's this, you know, transformative player for an A League team. To be honest, Ryan saying also, I struggle to think who the next Macarthur manager will be, uh, suggesting that <laughs> Kenny Lowe might be an option. I mean, he's a decent bloke, you know. I hope, I hope, I hope Sligo just picks some random Balkanist to keep going with it. Look. <laughs> oh, so just, point, just quickly point oh, out, sorry, Sl- Sam, Slugger is Sam, Sam Krislovich. Sam Krislovich, who is what is he? The man- football di- managing director? What's his official? He's Marvich. He's just he's just Marvich. <laughs> that's it. That's <laughs> his job title. He's Marvich. It's, it's been a tough. <laughs> let's hope. Let's Sam hope without Krislovich. some of the more. Let's hope without some of the more. Uh, well, like you, you're, you're saying, like so, you know, outside of being, you know, a current wanted fugitive, yeah. um, like okay, without out, outside of that, but just in terms of. <laughs> Function at a football club, yeah, he's marvage. Well, Sydney United get shipping six against uh, Sydney FC youth. It's been a bad weekend for Sam Krislovich. Uh, uh, Antonis says Graham Arnold may be available. <laughs> hey, if he can make Jake Holman a millionaire, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd be interested to see. I mean, when you look at this squad, whoever takes over, there needs to be serious investment in the midfield. We know there's a lot of guys coming off contract, but this team was so poorly uh, structured, especially in the middle of the park. Like, realistically, out of all those players they pit, uh, that, that was in that squad this year, how many of those guys are natural central midfielders? You know, a lot of them are 10s. A lot of them are sort of, you know, players that were you know, sort of shifted into play, essentially guys like Mombwa, who started his career as a... He sort of started his career as a winger. Was, I believe that's correct. You know what? He, he's, he, he fits as a midfielder, I reckon. But yeah. either way, there's, they, there's need, they need more. Yeah. They need it's more. Like goes, yeah. You know who the Bulls lost and never actually replaced? Danny Jonro. One player Danny Jonro. But, but at the same time, like, you know what? MacArthur last year would, you know, they were really passive and played with a lot of dead possession. Like, you know, that whole... You look at you look at that final that they had against Central Coast. <laughs> that was horrendous. And then yeah. after the after the red card, they have to they have to sit on their own sixteen yard box as a consequence, and then they score from there. And you know, like it's there was they. I'll put it this way: there was a huge misconception as to why they were actually a decent team, or a, let's say a less than you know a less than bad team in the A League. Well. Last season, they, they kind of fell in ass backwards into the finals. I mean, they weren't really... If you look at the form towards the end of the season, Wellington like went, what was it, 12 games unbeaten and just missed out, you know, with about a game to go because I think they dropped points against Perth at Eden Park and MacArthur got there and I think most people thought the Mariners would beat them and then they, you know, they they basically shit out their way to a win. And that game, Ante, you're talking about bad games. That was one of the... Well, I'm not going to say one of the many, but one of the few Aliga men's games where I literally fell asleep for about half an hour. I mean, and it was a final as well. I don't know if it was just the fact it was during the Euros and I'd been up early in the morning, but I literally fell asleep. It was that boring of a game. You know, the Mariners fans, you know, create a lot of noise and everything, but nothing happened either way. And then they ended up 
you know, S-housing their way through. They got beaten by City. And, I mean, that was, you know, expected. But this season, I mean, nothing's really changed. If anything, they've just gotten that bit worse. They to made, they like, after, oh, sorry, go for it. I was just going to say, to be fair, like, this was about how I expected MacArthur to end up this season based on the turmoil at the club in preseason with Milligan's departure, with all of the rumours about various jabs that people may or may not have had, with Federici's injury and retirement. Like, you know, I, it, it looked like complete chaos on the eve of the season. And the fact that they performed so well, well, they got such good results, let's say, in the first, um, you know, five or ten games, um, basically belied the the turmoil that seemed to be going on behind the scenes. So, you know, I, I picked them in the bottom half and that's where they've ended up. And I'm not totally surprised given, yeah, just the, I guess some of the dysfunction, uh, both from a footballing standpoint and otherwise. They went NRI with squad composition. And as a consequence of that, people were thinking they were going to you know, perform well. And from the very beginning of the season, it was quite clear that they weren't going to. Um, and, you know, COVID, COVID break or not, like that regression's happening. All right, let's move on. But before we do, Becca Mikkel-Tadze, still in the golden boot race. Uh, he's up to 13, one behind Jamie McLaren. Is that correct? 13! 13! <laughs> so, Apologies. Yes, yes. One behind Jamie McLaren. I, I Best striker the... in the league. Let me reiterate. The best striker in the league by a million miles. Like I, well, I yeah, that didn't. I didn't realize you were that big of a fan of Jamie McLaren. Aren't I? <laughs> yeah, like Jamie McLaren. No, no striker like Jamie McLaren directs traffic off the ball like you know, like Jamie McLaren. He's just such. I just love the way he goes about it. He's such a <laughs> just the, the the subtle art of the way he doesn't give a fuck. So you're gonna ask a question? <laughs> I, I was gonna say. Newcastle Jets, that should be their sole uh, sole aim for the rest of the season. Western United and Central Coast Mariners, the two games they've got to go. Just feed Becker. Feed so it's Becker. like, yeah. Get him to break it, the record. You've got nothing else to play for now. Like the, like the end of an NBA regular season, and you've got to play a goal for the scoring title. Like it was like David Thompson going for 60 in a night. Like just exactly. to, just to win the see, NBA scoring I want to see title. Becker go full it. Russell Westbrook stat pad for the rest of the year. <laughs> Well, but that, that, that happens a bit more than is anticipated, isn't it? Like players know when certain other players have like performance clauses in their contracts, so they'll go yeah. out and make sure so, that their boy hits. I, Pat McAfee talks about this a lot on his podcast about like in the NFL, if it's week 17 and a bloke needs a certain sack, the offensive line will say, as long as you don't kill the quarterback, you're getting through or something like that. <laughs> So, or, or will we see it opposite? Like the Mariners have got nothing to play for. Say, for instance, they've wrapped up a home final or can't move away, and they go full like you know what Hawthorne did to Brendan Favola and just man mark the absolute s out of you know. <laughs> out you, of I would, I, I would play. respect the shit out of that. To use, uh, to use another, to use another American sport sporting reference, uh, the Yankees wa- intentionally walking Miguel Cabrera before he got his three thousand hit. Timely baseball references. You weren't expecting that, Mr. Joseph you, Lynch, were you? No, I wasn't, but Mr. We've already Speaker. Had, we've already had this <laughs> argument once in the chat about... Oh. And if you but, don't get it, Google but, it, but mate. The only, the only thing baseball has going for it left is romance and shit. And now they're getting rid of the romance. Speaking of uh, people Baseball who without hate- romance is just cricket. It's... Oh. 
Speaking of people who will hate these intersport and indeed wrestling references, Alan asking, where is Nick? Availability is the best ability stole. Well, he's actually in Melbourne this weekend, but refused the offer no, he's of not an in-person his, his flight was at 7pm, so he's oh, playing. Okay. He's Park up and get a drink with this, you dog. <laughs> <laughs> he was too, yeah, he was too busy. Stole. Would you believe too busy watching the AFL to see us? So He went to know. the worst possible yeah, exactly. game as well. He didn't just go to any <laughs> AFL game. He went to watch North and, and – Oh, my God. You could have come watch the Mighty Hawkers with me, mate. This this was my this, reaction this when uh, when I saw what Nick Stoll was doing in, instead of hanging out with the TNC crowd. I am fucking fuming! Mega, mega fucking fuming! <laughs> we have so many memes, babes, now. Uh, this 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 pod could descend very quickly if I if I start uh, <laughs> establishing that as the just, as the just, standard. Just to spite Nick Soul, like we have to just. Like, <laughs> well, it's the thing. It's my my response whenever somebody calls Nick Stoll the best host of this podcast. Dumb bitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's late night TNC, baby. We're past the watershed. <laughs> All right, let's move on to. Central Coast gonna, Mariners. I, I am going to say at some point I'm going to show everybody the greatest penalty ever taken. So it's one to look forward to. Diana Ross or what? <laughs> opening the World Cup? No, never mind. Um, Mariners beating Western United. It was a crucial game for Western United. They could have secured their uh, or had control of their own destiny when it comes to the Premier's plate. But they went down 1-0 thanks to Garan Kual, his second decisive goal in the space of two matches, bursting onto the scene in much the same way that his brother did. Uh, this is pretty special, guys. The Kuals hate Kuals... Western United. Yeah. <laughs> I, and I think with good reason after the Alu situation. I mean, I'm seeing what their dad tweeted. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what, what a finish, though, from Garan Kual. Like, it was really, really nice. I've got to say... Um, just in terms of this game, guys, like, are we really surprised? Like, Western United had the ball. Uh, J.A. tried to, like, he actually stopped short of saying it was the 10-day break that made them look sluggish. Um, in reality, it was just Nick Montgomery coached the game as any coach should against Western United. Just let Give them, them the have ball. the ball and see what happens. And it was, was only it? like a five-minute patch, I reckon, the second half of Western United looked likely scoring. And it was when Connor Payne got given that, penalty which got reversed they had a set piece opportunity which got blocked but other than that i, I don't Prijevic, uh was beaten very easily by dan hall those stocks man like to the moon like that was a sensational performance from dan hall but also um just the mariners probably should have won this game at least two or three nil uh jason cummings moreshe and kololo urenya when he came on all very impressive um you know Lockie Wales moved in as a 10, gave him a little bit for Western United, but the Mariners look good, man. Like, they get to finals, they're going to cause some havoc. And if they can get a home final in particular, they're going to seriously... That, that, that's every chance that, you know, two-legged semi, get, get past the elimination final, that they could actually... Who knows? They could do it. I mean, they're timing their run, I think, to perfection in one of the form teams in the league right now and have probably, in my opinion, the form front line in the league too right now as well. Like, it is all clicking for them at the moment, other than the fact that Bazanic is not on this planet. <laughs> um, yeah, he he had to go. His home planet needed him. So much like a certain Melbourne City reject. Uh, Ante, 
have we undersold how good the Mariners actually are by painting them as this sort of lovable underdog? I remember you earlier in the campaign making some comparisons between Montgomery and Borderlass as uh, sort of <laughs> unfashionable, you know, fighters, you know. Uh, but it seems like they've they've got added more strings to their bow and are playing better football each week. And they, they would legitimately the better and more active team in this game. Look, I mean, do you want me to just play that? I prefer not never to mind. speak. Uh, yeah, I prefer not to speak. I, I, I will not say, to, not to speak. If I speak, I am in in big trouble, in big trouble, and I don't want to be in big trouble. But go for it, Joey. <laughs> I was going to say, I I think you can. They can be both. They can be a very good, effective football team and still be the lovable underdogs. You know, like this team. I mean, there's a lot of talk about new investment. This team has basically been run off the, you know, the smell of an oily rag under Mike Charlesworth for years now. It's not like, you know, the team that they beat on the weekend and the, theirs is a run up the table built off the largesse of potentially the quite possibly the biggest wage bill in the A-League men's. This is still a team that has to live within their means and, you know, we'll get to the youth development report in a bit and how it's a bit of a meme, but they are playing kids and, you know, they are developing players. Into, I mean, they're not under Marino. 21. Dan like outside of, outside of Hall, like, you know. The wingbacks. They, they, only, they only, yeah, like. Maxi Ballard. Central Coast, Central, Coast, Central Coast have really, let's say, Josh started Nisbet. to click once they brought in, once they brought in Cummings. Yeah, well, that's, that's the only player. time they really that's like that. Player. Yeah, but no, like Cummings has really transformed. Has been really transformative. I'm not going to. I'm not going to argue against the transformative effects of the Cummings. My hand goes up, Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I will say though. I mean, let's let's not oversell the fact that Western were the active team in this game, and let's not make it condition uh, like. Let's not ignore that in, you know, how we interpret the Mariners here because, you know what, like, let's say it was, I think, Western had four shots over the first 45 minutes. The first one what the first one came in the opening 25 seconds after the diag, after the post-kickoff diag for the Mariners. So it came in transition even then. And so they had, what was it, two shots in the penalty area? I will say with a disclaimer. Uh... Yeah, two, two, two shots in the penalty area, but I will, I, I will have a disclaimer. Uh, thank you. Shout out to Paramount who um, had who cut off, let's say the the you know the closing for the who who only had the opening five minutes of the first half on their full match replay and just went with the massive jump cut to the second half, um, but it was still kind of evident the dynamics and the complexion of the game, you know, before that goal. Something that was really interesting was before the goal, you know, that that little detail about Western where you can expose them. It's like Neil Kilkenny wanted no parts of that ball in tight under pressure. He he hot potatoes that thing when Priovic gives it back to him. Priovic has his back turned and Kilkenny tries to play him a ball first time. And yeah, go get it. And like Hall... Hall can cover that, you know, and then from there it's a counter on a counter and the Mariners score from there. Um, 
ultimately, West Ham just aren't really good with the ball. I mean, uh, uh, the subject of Dan Hall, like I know we joked about, you know, like Capimani and all this stuff at the start of the season when they're talking around Fiji. He should absolutely be in the Oli Roo squad for the coming out on the 23 championship. Absolutely. Like he is a thousand percent developed into a player that we should have in the national team pathway with an eye. Sorry. Sorry, Go for it, Joe. I'll finish it there. Like he should be in the pathway for 2026. Like he should be one of these players. Like we should already, like if we had a full-time technical director, we would be already be planning for the 2026 World Cup cycle with players like Hall as centerpieces of that. And that's another thing with Qual is like people, I've, I've noticed the commentary has been rather more, uh, you know, increasingly more demanding with respect to Qual. Oh, you know, he should be this and he should be that. But, um, you know, players like him should be integrated coming into 2026. Especially, yeah. especially in that second phase, like I don't think I don't think Australia or the Socceroos does enough traditionally, um, you know, to integrate players over that second phase. Um, personally, um, and then when, because when important games come, we're still kind of shackled from a standpoint of decision making and flexibility, um, because we don't really give players or, or put players who are unknown quantities in positions where they're best suited. And so when the time comes, they're not really trusted. And I think I mean, that's... Go for it. In no, the specific case say- of Dan Hall, I was going to say that we would have already lost him to Fiji. If not for COVID. Had, not, not if not for COVID. He was going to go. Oh, yeah. And it was only because of passport issues and basically bureaucratic stuff that stopped him from going to the World Cup qualifiers and... Which would already getting capped, Mm. would have cap tied him. So, you know, his mind was already made up with Fiji. So, assuming they get those passport issues sorted out, he will already have declared. And I think it could be too late for him to represent the Socceroos unless there is a pretty dramatic intervention. So, yeah, I wish fingers already for mine. And well, we should point out that if he doesn't want to switch his allegiance and he wants to stay with Fiji, that's a thousand percent fine. He should be encouraged to do that. That's where his heart is. You know, fair play to him. Be mad with anyone. Be mad with the people that didn't bring him into the Australian system before he declared for Fiji. I mean, when I interviewed him early in the season, he seemed very open to the possibility of playing for the Socceroos if it became a realistic proposition. Which it it should should be. It should be. Like, he didn't seem to think, you know, that was a possibility... um, I guess a realistic pros- proposition until very, very recently, where he started to think, "Oh, maybe, maybe I am actually good enough to play for Australia. Maybe I will get a look in." So it's it's all changed very quickly for him. I think the uh, I think I think he could be undecided still. Mm. I think uh, this this conversation started to give me some flashbacks, guys. I'm not even going to go down that that sort of uh, <laughs> it's just give me some PTSD Vietnam War kind of flashbacks there. But um, no, it is a good point. I mean, Josh, like at that stage when you probably were interviewing Dan Hall. I mean, he wasn't even a lock in the Mariners lineup. I mean, how many appearances had he had by that stage? And there was all conjecture, you know, is he ahead of, you know, Ruin Tonyuk? Is he ahead of Kai Rolls? But he's done brilliant this season to lock in a spot in that 11. And I, I genuinely think that if he can keep this going, um, I mean, he's got versatility to play out wide as well at fullback, which I think helps him. He's a very quick player. Um, it's not ideal to play him at fullback, but I mean, if you really have to, and you need to plug a hole, then it could work. But, um, 
I guess we'll wait and see. I mean, hopefully at least Australia get in touch with him and at least let them know that let him know that, hey, you know, you're in contention. If you see it out for a bit longer and you you want to get into our youth setup, if they if we pick you for a youth team, if you know that Oli Roos uh, selection does come along, then you know, hopefully soon enough we'll see him playing for the senior team. Should he continue to make those steps and develop over the coming seasons? This is uh, Nick DeBano when this podcast wades into the waters of international tug of war once again. Damn. Here we go again. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's gotten pretty quiet recently. <laughs> it's gotten pretty no, quiet. No, I'm cutting this. I'm cutting this. Cut. You, cut you, you're awakening the beast. You're awakening the beast, Josh. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> Tell, tell someone to put turn the microwave on. Otherwise, this this mic is hot, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Jason, no. Um, I mean, as we all know, that international football is far, far, far more important than domestic football. I, I thought it would be interesting. We're on the subject of Dan Hall now, a player that assuming he's still open to the possibility of committing to Australia over Fiji, is one of these types that should be integrated into the Socceroos setup for the 2026 World Cup cycle as soon as possible. I'm just wondering who else we think would be in that. You know, like, is there a young goalkeeper coming through that um, with Matty Ryan getting up there and Redmayne um, getting up there and Vukovic assuming that he doesn't start replacing his body parts with machine parts and at some point decides to retire with him getting out there. Who is the next goalkeeper? Is it a Joe Gauchi at Adelaide who, like, who's trained with the Socceroos and he's only 21 years old? You know, who are the defenders? But perhaps most critically, who are the mid- midfielders that we need to be integrating alongside? I'm showing my bias here. Aiden Rustic and Denny Jonro. One's, de- one's already decided to play for Afghanistan. Just a, a question, Joe, is this limited to just young players, like, you know, under the age of 21, or is this anyone in general? Just young players, young players. Well, I, I don't know if you classify him as a youngster, but I think Lockie Wells had a great season. I think you should get a look in eventually. I know it's a bit of an unpopular opinion among some sections of soccer Twitter, but I think that, you know, he's been in the, he's worked under Arnie before. I think that, you know, he, he'd have to be at least in the reckoning. I don't think he's going to be Arnie his level. What was that, I sorry? Don't think it, I don't think international football is this level. Not even just, you know, in a friendly or something, no? But, but like, even friendlies, they should be used within, within or, or they should be, let's say, viewed within the prism of eventual usage, you know, when, you know, for when when the shit hits the fan or when, you know, when, when the air gets thick in games. Um, <laughs> what's going on there? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Okay, I, I I actually have something on this about, about about our boy about our boy. This is this is this is actually a bit of an interesting point here. If he gets a loan just, deal, just what what has brought this on, Nick, for the podcast listeners? All right, it's Joey has put up in the batter the the same emojis Mister Christian Volpato used in his Snapchat post Socceroos defeat to Japan. Um, but on that, if Volpato gets a loan move. Get some regular senior minutes at a city bear, a lower league, a lower table city outside, or another European team, wherever it might be. Okay, that's when we can start to look at capping him. That's when we can start. To oh, interesting cycle. Interesting stat, actually. Uh, I was I, I was just doing some digging this this week, and I saw that uh, Christian Volpato leads 
the city are for goals minus XG. So, like, so, he's overperformed his XG more than any other player in, in the top five league. Just, <laughs> means, just means he's a good finisher, mate. Cap him, guys. Bro, he's playing for Roma. Man, we got to play. we got to cap him, bro. That's, 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 what we call, okay. that's what we call clinical finishing. You can't teach that. I don't think he's not seven foot tall, Josh. You can actually teach that. Hey, speaking <laughs> speaking of um, speaking of finishes, you know who we should play. And speaking of seven front. foot tall, one J Rich Beglu. Yes, oh, what, I, a goal. I, what a goal! What a I am going to. I am going to download this goal, put just, it into the thing, so we can share it because it's a thunder bastard. Just on that, Ante. Just quickly before you go, Joey. Like he has not seen a minute still since that Hellas Verona game, and I. I said, it. I said it. He needs minutes, man. He needs minutes before we do it. He still hasn't gotten on the pitch. So, cap him, bro. Go. we got to cap him. I'm not on it. you got to bring that up. I am. I'm upset. <laughs> I'm so upset. I, I don't know. This is going to be a completely unlistenable uh, podcast. This you guys got to watch the stream. This has gone off the rails hard. Um, <laughs> I got a question from the YouTubes whilst I, I upload you know Joe Bigelow's goal. I'll be honest. I um I don't uh, on on Chidkarti, I'll be honest that I haven't watched enough of him to make to make an informed no, opinion, yeah. and I don't want to do. This a, is the kid uh, at Palmer. Yeah, I don't want to do a uh, yeah. Shaquille O'Neal meme. I'm sorry, bro. I didn't see enough. I didn't know enough about your game to, to like, who he not. play for. Who he play for? <laughs> Guangdong Tigers. <laughs> but yeah, well, on, on Chikati to make a serious point, I haven't watched. Let's let, let's give it some more time about Chikati. Yeah, I haven't watched that. I, I will. You know what? Well, actually, I'll I should be. I'll, I'll be looking at that actually. So um, I want to. I'll, I'll I'll have that opinion soon for you, Alan. Well, Cercati playing for Palmer, or as the South Australians call it, Palmy. Um, <laughs> oh, 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 no. <laughs> no, but yeah. on the subject of Jay Rich Begelow, here's the absolute thunder bastard of a goal that he scored. <laughs> Wow, what a finish. That's proper lower league English football response, like a bit of a way to clap. You can hear it coming through. It's end of season English lower leagues. Is that for Accrington Stanley? He's playing for at the moment, I I believe. What? Is it Accrington Stanley? (laughs) Joey's so triggered right now. (laughs) 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 I get daily emails emails for work. We get like a, a... like an email called the staff plan. And so like I now constantly read it in my head as the staff plan. Accrington's in Lancashire. It's got I don't know what Nick's Devano. No, he's Lancashire was for that. who the fuck's asking you, boy. <laughs> it's in Lancashire. It's nowhere nowhere near whatever the fuck that accent was supposed to be. All right, but can, no. can you can you give me can you give me a Lancashire accent, Joey? For the listeners? No, no. 
<laughs> dance, Joey. Mancunian. <laughs> so, oh, there's so many Mancunian. So it's near Manchester. So it's sort of like a Manchester accent. You know, Mancunian. Right. Um, if we talk about Newcastle, I could do a Geordie at some point. Let's get back to the football, guys. Um, We've gone uh, you the mentioned, you mentioned You mentioned the palmy thing. Like, this is how I felt looking at it. Keski. <laughs> And if my aunt had Eddie. wheels, she'd be a bike. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so it was actually football. Let's Fuck let's it. move on. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, let's uh, let's actually segue into Daniel Sturridge finally oh. making his our league return. Uh, I mean, it was obviously it would garbage be the best time. thing in the world if Daniel Sturridge puts in two. Like two or three really great performances, and Sage re-signs him for next season. <laughs> Four more years. <laughs> I mean, but aside from uh, aside from Daniel Sturridge, I think the most notable thing about this game was the absolutely ludicrous VAR check against Bruno Fornaroli that went on for an inconceivably like an inconceivable amount of time, considering he's clearly onside. Sorry, outside of the fact that the Wanderers had seventy five percent of the ball. Yeah, 75% <laughs> to the ball. That is, like, that's, that is, we've spoken about this long, already this season and just how imbalanced they are. But, like, that's, that's embarrassing. How do you, <laughs> I know, you know, you don't want to get caught up on one game, but this is not simply one game. This is one game, you know, on the back of a body of work this season. And there's a lot to, I mean, go into in terms of where they are and where they should be as a quote-unquote big club. If they've got nothing to play for, why why are they, you know, kind of doling out the same lineups week after week? Well, clearly their performances are important to somebody. You know, and it may not be the fans that fall under that category, but you know, they're they clearly trying to work something out for next season. We've heard rumors of new arrivals and so forth. I'm sure there'll be a big squad turnover again based on the contracts they can get out from under. But Lawrence Thomas, big, is big the... news, by the way. Sorry, big, 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 big news. I'm not ready to drop the TNC exclusively, exclusive yet, but uh, Lawrence Thomas is just one signing that has been already, um. Has already been mooted, and this is this is what I mean with respect to where they're going next season. Like, I don't think the Wanderers fans are going to be happy with it. Well, can you at least give us a hint before Paul Letterer tells Dave Lewis and he reports it in FTVL? No, <laughs> no. All right, it, it'll, 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 it'll be a huge signing. I'm sorry, I don't. But it will be. I don't I don't know that for a fact, by the way. That's just me speculating. I don't get it. <laughs> I could never make it past places. season one of Breaking Bad. I literally would get triggered and just not be able to do it. Not to yeah. go full on, dep- not to be to honest, go full like, on depressing cancer stuff, but yeah. That's like, to be honest, yeah. Point. I mean, I, I, where, are the, where are the Wanderers going to go next year? I'm really, really intrigued. And, you know, we we talked about how 
the hiring and firing of coaches is is removed from the issues that kind of kind of you know have taken the wanderers by hold uh, you know by you know, on hold but yeah i I've, i'm not sure uh yeah but what, what do you make of the departure of ian crook as well who you know had a big rep in terms of his He's think it's role in the uh, youth development side of things. Outside looking in, it you know it just feels like an embedding of power. Because I mean, there there were like various unfounded rumors that JP Demarini is the guy to take over. Which you know I'm not necessarily sure that that's who you want down the pecking order if you're a Western Sydney Wanderers manager. Given he's taken over as a caretaker several times, including at the Wanderers. Jose Mourinho spec. Okay, fair enough. Uh, Guido's asking on Twitter, where's the nice background? Looks Mediterranean. Uh, this is, if you missed it at the start of the show, Sunny Hervar, which is where Ante Milicic is fleeing to after the A-League has permanently <laughs> olive oil, Olive oil supremacy, guys. <laughs> Anything more on this game before we move on? Wanderers suck on the ball. Perth, meh, whatever. And uh, Toros suggesting that uh, Daniel Sturridge should go to MacArthur, which would be very on-brand. Uh, let's go to Adelaide, where convincing win over Brisbane Raw locked up a finals place for the Reds. 2-0, the final score goals from George Blackwood and Hiroshi Ibasuki. Uh, Blackwood, again, backing up my argument that he is secretly a ball-playing centre-half because he scored from a set-piece that he would have been forward for anyway had he been in that position. So he might, why not maximise him? But anyway, um, but yeah, Brisbane haven't been super competitive this season and their poor run continues. Man, they were abject in that first half. They made the sc- Adelaide look downright good. This, this, You know what? I'll be honest, though, the scoreline belies how even a game that was, I reckon. Second, yeah, second both. half. Second half, it was incredibly even. First half, raw. Yeah, I mean, what, Warren Moon called it the worst half of football they've played since he's been involved in the club. Wow, worse than worse than that first half against Western United. That was that was entirely of his own creation. I don't know. I didn't ask him that specific question. But um, which Western United? Geelong. Yeah. Oh, the one where he he's offend, attempted a defensive adjustment just allowed them to get ripped apart before he. Panicked and reverted, um, and yeah, and now like, look, and sorry, I, I go to that game because sorry to you know sorry to keep going and, and you know, go on on this point, but I look back to that game and how much of Moon's decision making has been you know born of mere damage limitation because he can't play the way that he wants to play, and you know we talk about the inflexibility of coaches. It's been, it's been lamentable to see Moon respond in such a way with respect to the players he has and his inability to maximise them. The problem and for Moon, I think, is is he ever going to have the players that he wants slash needs to play his system at the Raw with the resourcing and the recruitment that the Raw currently roll out? They could probably scout better. Like, like you know, I think, I think, I, like, let's, for example, the Lascano signing, like, frankly, shouldn't be made. I know that, like, like, you wrote an article about it in, in the A League, uh, aren't they, about how often it's the coaches doing the scouting about how, and how that's not optimal. 
Yeah. Did the Raw have the resourcing to do the proper scouting, i.e. not just hoist it upon the coaching staff? Probably not. But at the same time, like... You well, know, I should you... say, it's not do the Raw have the resourcing, it's do their owners, who definitely have the money to probably fund it, do they allow them to have the resourcing? At the same time, you know, I, I guess I guess the question is, um, you know, who wants to deal with Brisbane? That's mm. the other big thing. That's a, that's another big question in terms of the players they can get. Who wants to actually deal with Brisbane? Yeah, but like it's not just yeah, it's not like that infers agent, but it's also the players. Like, what, how many players are going out there thinking of Brisbane Raw as a destination? NPL Queensland players who haven't gone to Victoria. Somebody tap the clip. Hold on. Such as? Where is it? <laughs> well, he did go to Victoria. That's the thing. Yeah. Our boy Henry. Henry. <laughs> but I mean, and, you know, he's they're... been well received by the supporters. I saw someone saying it was their signing of the season. I asked, but, you know, I asked Warren Moon about campaign him. It's been, but... I asked Warren Moon about him after the game. He didn't wasn't effusive with his praise. There were qualifications in there um, surrounding his season, but said he'd done all right given the step up. So looks like at least he'll be coming back. I'm not even sure. I think he's – was he on a one-year contract or a two-year contract? Who are? Uh, I think, that, I think they'll re-sign him that. anyway. But mm. you're talking about scouting, Ante, and, and resources and so forth. I mean, this is one of my big things. We come back to the fact that the salary cap is actually a drain on resource because it requires clubs to – spend time and money monitoring the cap itself when they should be focusing on the football side of things. Like you have to employ a whole extra person basically just to hold those purse strings. Uh, I think, I think you can look at it two ways. You can either look at it as a shackle or as a means to innovate. And I think the salary cap or let's say a league franchises use the salary cap or view the salary cap as a shackle. And, you know, the reality is it's it allows them to operate under the model or under the model they do operate within. So, um, yeah, I, I this is something that manifests on the pitch as well, like and something that's really been um, really been reinforced in the second half of this season, just how uninspiring the football is as a consequence of the uninspiring decision making. That happens at elite clubs. Ante sounds like he's going to fly off to a Croatian <laughs> island right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, yeah. No, no, I'll be watching. I would be watching our league on Arena Sport, and I, I, I absolutely know Milicic would be as well. Don't, you, you, you'd be. That's some gaslighting there, mate. You'd be streaming in, you know. You'd be sitting on a beach, just with your laptop on your shoots coming into bro, this podcast. Bro, I, your watch, I watch our league on Arena Sport. In Australia, let alone in Croatia, <laughs> it's actually mad. And they openly slander players, man. That's the best thing about it. It just, it just what, never admit. What, what is your say, favorite piece? I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to say. Just okay, out of respect, they they slander players, man. It's it's actually cool. Looking at Nick. um, at, sorry, go ahead, Dink Dabana. No, no, I was just going to say, really small thing, Joey. You asked about Henry Hall. He's not contracted next year. It was only a one year deal, so you'd think that's one of the deals they'd look to get done as well. So, I mean, surely, surely that's getting you'd, done. You'd think that, but I think every Brisbane Raw fan probably expected Danny Kim to be re-signed after the hub, um, and he wasn't. 
So I don't have any details about him why he wasn't signed. I'm just saying it's history. Um, but looking at Adelaide's performance in this, I think we got a sneak peek of how Adelaide hoping to make a run these finals games. I mean, we were discussing cross spam earlier. Um, pretty much that. Um, Blackwood and Ibasuki, I think the stats came up on the thing, like Ibasuki is like leading the league in like he- some sort of heading statistic and that sort of thing. And I mean, it's pretty much what he is. He's an Easter Island statue that you play up front and lob balls at. He's basically Jay Rich Begaloo in the Olympics. Uh, um, <laughs> so, but I mean, and it looks like that will be the strategy in finals football, you know, when the chances ostensibly come harder um, games turn on individual moments a lot more than they tend to do in the regular season. It will be the hope that you can jag. Um, a Goodwin can just whip, keep whipping balls in from the left and then take set pieces and put these balls into dangerous areas because Craig Goodwin can deliver a very nice-looking ball into the box. And from there, who knows what will happen from that point. Speaking of Craig Goodwin, did you see his? Did you see that stat with uh, his chances created this season? I saw that. Yeah, I lost it, man. When I saw that, all corners, all whipping, and then like you've got a few where like you've got, got crossfield passes out to like thirty meters from goal, and it's like, and people want to talk about Adelaide like functioning. Like, come on, man, come on. I mean, I come on, Col- man, come on. Colby might have hinted at like there's a realisation of that. He talked about how they'd been working on crossing a lot more over the past two or three weeks in training ever since um, Damien Morrie came in as an assistant. Uh, So admittedly that was prompted by a question that I specifically asked him about are you emphasising crossing heading into the finals? So maybe he was just humouring me. Yeah, he's not going to say no and then you know, realise that it's happening as a consequence now in a press conference and openly say that, oh, shit, like, it's not going as we planned. You know, it <laughs> Reminds me of, like, the, uh, the, the Simpsons scene with the, the Cayman Islands Bank. <laughs> <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> um, I actually, I heard an interview with Craig Goodwin recently and they asked him, it was sort of a quick-fire question round, and they asked him who he'd rather play with out of a Ronaldo or Messi. And he said... Uh, he prefers Messi as a player, but he'd rather play with Ronaldo because he's the kind of guy he could provide service for, which I thought was an interesting insight into like Craig Goodwin's mindset. Like he's always thinking about his assist numbers. Like that's, that's what's going ball. through. That's what that, that's what he's what's going through his head at all times, which I, I think you see on the field. Like he's a very like he's a, there's so much throughput in what he does. Like 50, 50, 50 internet points to whoever memes. Uh, Craig Goodwin into the band Devo, uh, Devo, and Whip It, the the music video. Craig Goodwin, Whip It Good. You've you've just uh, given that, run run the memes. Yeah, yeah podcast, like, it'll so. it'll be run, it'll be run the memes. Yeah, let's face it. No, that, but that's that's a whoosh for me. But I like I I say this as someone who actually quite likes Craig Goodwin because he makes things happen and he's a player who takes responsibility on. But uh, yeah, that's that's you know, questionable. He's, well, I I think he does. He sees himself as the creator in chief for this Adelaide side. And if you had his say in one day in midfield, you would too. You know? <laughs> I mean, oh, look, I guess Goodwin and what he represents as a winger is tangential to what 
you know, Juan de Nisaias represent mm. in midfield. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. Um, and and on, this, on that note, Antonis says, would have liked Adelaide to field the midfield they did versus Perth. Much more intentional going forward than the Spanish pivot. Didn't like dropping Bernardo to the bench at all. Hey, that, any, flies in the, that flies in the face of the commentary from this weekend about, uh, uh, what? about, did, about old Adelaide town. Alan says, Adelaide yeah. did the same thing against Perth last week where they switched off for essentially the entire second half, getting pretty annoying at this point. Well, I mean, they're, they're a team that's uh, made a habit earlier in the season of scoring last-minute winners constantly. So, you know, they're maybe, just, maybe they're, they're just conserving their team. energy. They're a volatile team. Like, when will Adelaide ever put 90 minutes together for the pure fact? You know, it, it's, it's consequential to the pure fact that they don't function in possession. Like, I mean... This is a this is the reality that you know Adelaide or Adelaide fans will you know just have to live with if you know if they if they want to live with this team and who they have up front and who they have in midfield and Goodwin being in that position that, you know it, let's say having the scope that he does have at Adelaide um, and on the coin that he has too crazy well I mean Adelaide uh, the denizens of Adelaide are famously non-parochial so I'm sure that they will take any sort of criticism of their side in good stride <laughs> and, I, not, I throw, and not throw and not throw a 20-year-old midfielder under the bus because you dare say he should be playing more I personally love it uh, when the human handbrake throws on the youngsters for five minutes and then they score and he gets the credit for promoting youth but, uh, I I forgot about that nickname Josh it's just still every time I hear it. I... <laughs> Right. <laughs> I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep running with it until it sticks. Uh, Ryan on the Brisbane side of things, since he thinks he they need a whole new rebuild, new CEO, new owners, and new manager. Well, I mean, you can't force them to sell unless you're the yeah. APL, and they're not going to do that because the league is run by the owners and the Bakery Group, for better or for worse, are pretty integral to the APL now. They're one of the leading people behind the whole new structure, only second to perhaps CFG and Sydney. So. I'd say the fuck um, are more integral to the APL than Raw. In terms of the setup and operation of it. I, well, yeah. I just, the, you know, the, the Bakery spokespeople and Chris Fong and et cetera and so on were very, very present and public in the whole process isn't of the, separation. Isn't DiPietro like on a whole bunch of like um, working groups and subcommittees in APL land? Yeah, possibly. He's just not quite as, as visible with it, I guess. Uh, Jesse said, Brisbane owners need more scrutiny. First squad investment, also lack of playing close to Brisbane and playing in Redcliffe. Well, is there a suitable stadium for Brisbane to play in? Like, that's a that's a bigger yeah. problem than... Shout out, shout, out to, shout out to Gerardo, man. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, He's been screaming into the void about this for, like, years. Yeah. like It's, it's, mean, it's fun to see, yet again, the Australian football zeitgeist. Uh, catching up to what Geraldo has been saying for years. I like how you accidentally said Zeitcast, which would be a great yeah. name for a for an Australian football pod, I think. Uh, Ryan says, another big issue with Brisbane and us Royal fans, we don't even play in our city. We play an hour away from Brisbane in a way worse stadium than Suncorp. Well, I mean, the, the TV experience of Redcliffe is much better with, um, you know, just watching from afar, the atmosphere is always better um, when you've got, a more boutique venue because Suncorp is just way too big, but I understand it must be really annoying for the match going supporters. When it to, rains. Especially, Whatever, man. Move with it. But hey, you can go to the pub. <laughs> but, you can sit. Nah, like, if, look, if, uh, if, it, it is like, oh, sorry, all jokes aside, like, you know, it's a pretty, it, 
it's a pretty tricky situation in Brisbane with respect to you know both the ownership and their yeah. um, apparent indifference in terms of actually changing the status quo and also you know the stadium situation that exists within Brisbane and the Queensland government. It is tricky. I mean, the, the stadium situation, it's really like the raw, it's a giant douche and a shit sandwich situation. Either you play in a, a ground that's small enough and appropriate sized an hour out of Brisbane, or you play in um, Suncorp, which is a cavern. And, you know, you it's far, far too big for the crowds that Brisbane Raw get. Um, and it makes this entire thing feel soulless, especially how the Raw fans kind of, blend in with the seating at some court, which makes it look even more empty than it is. The crux of that problem, it comes back, that comes back to football Queensland and the state government. Like what, what's the relationship like that is seeing, you know, football Queens, like, like, sorry, the Queensland government consistently refusing to invest in football stadia. I know a lot of that, the vast majority of that is probably just Ocker, idiot politicians that don't like the round ball and, you know, love the greatest game of all and, you know, want to invest in league and union above all else. I don't know. Like what's like, we're all in Victoria. Like on this one, we've, we've banished the Sydney cider for this edition of the pod. Um, Like, but I don't know that. I feel like that's like, what are the conversations happening? Like it's what are the behind the scenes, what are the what's the relationship building like? What does football need to do to get in the halls of government? It's all well and good complaining about it and producing graphs to show how many people play the game. How who are we showing said graphs to? <laughs> you know what conversations are happening to reinforce this point? Um, that would be that's probably the next step after this. I uh, just got a message from Mario in Doncaster with a great point. <laughs> Matthew uh, in one, Doncaster, Joey. Matthew. Mario sounds Joey. better. The Taurus saying, is there a reason Brisbane... Well, Mario, Mario belongs to SGN. Yes, uh, we, can't, we can't claim their talkback calls. Oh, but, look uh, at the yeah. YouTube chat immediately. Graph. <laughs> 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 Uh, we love you guys. That's how you spell crap. <laughs> 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 that is the correct spelling. We're going to say graph. Right? That's it. Um, <laughs> all right. Torres says, uh, is there a reason Brisbane couldn't get Danzaki again as he's on loan again in Japan? I think he's at JEF, if memory serves. Um, but I mean, it's a stopgap measure. Like yeah. Brisbane, Brisbane have players who they can use, and you know they haven't this season. Um, yeah, it's 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 a like I said, it's a pretty uninspiring situation that exists in Brisbane right now. Well, with that, I think we should move on to the torrential downpour. Speaking uh, of uninspiring, Melbourne victory three, Wellington Phoenix one. Uh, this was. Uh, like a reasonable turnout, I would say, given that you know, when I was driving to the NBL game I was doing that night, it was genuinely scary stuff. Like I thought my car was floating. Wait, NBL? On, on NPL. Yeah, you NPL said NBL. Uh, Jack Jump well, is apparently, a apparently, Hey, I'm not I'm not the one in this uh in, in this call that's about to be commentating basketball in the next couple of weeks. But uh <laughs> 
Anyway, uh, victory. Yes. Go go tune into to Nick's university basketball debut on uh, is it the tenth? There we go. Uh, can't, can't wait yeah. to, for you to Nick's, smash Nick's, out some Nick's, some Nick's cheap plugs. Uh, I think it's the tenth. It's it's a two day extravaganza down at uh, Victoria University with Noble. So get involved for plenty of kabooms and and uh, bags. <laughs> so we're gonna have fun with Bang. that. <laughs> can't wait for that. Anyway, uh, victory. Defeating Wellington three goals to one. There were some ludicrous VAR checks going on in this. Uh, what were the takeaways from this game, Joey? Well, I guess I'll talk about the VAR before we get down into the nitty gritty. Um, the VAR, all the decisions were actually right <laughs> when you actually like watch them back. Like each of the decisions made were bang on correct. It was a handball in the box on Brilliante. It was an elbow to the face of Piscopo by Broxham, despite, you know, despite some victory fans arguing otherwise. No, if a player is standing still, you don't have license to then elbow in them in the head. That is still against the laws of the game. Um, and even though Piscopo wasn't actually standing and he was trying to compete for the ball, he just got elbowed in the face by Lee Broxham. Um, and then you look at victory's penalty. Yeah, on a technical level, the decision-making process was right. The goal would have been rubbed out for Marchand's sliding challenge, which was a foul. However, they in the aftermath of that, they were correct to go back and check and determine that, yes, it was a handball, so it was a penalty. I don't think anybody, well, nobody with a bit of common sense should be arguing that the calls were wrong. The problem is the calls took so long. We lost mm. 11 minutes of football. We lost more than 10% of, you know, allotted time to VAR checks. And it's simply, it doesn't work. It does VAR, work. It's it's just the implementation of it. Yeah, it, like yeah that's said, what, yeah, it's that's more what, the implementation. It's, it's the implementation of it. It does work. It just takes too long. That's a better way of saying it. I mean, VAR... Uh, and feel free to cut me off if I start going too long with this, uh, with your stupid countdown clock that you were talking about. Um, <laughs> you told me not to bring it up, and now you want me to bring it up. Stop yelling. This is your cue to go online and try to National download a shot curriculum. VAR is Pandora's box at this point. The only thing more inescapable than the continued spread of the VAR (laughs) is the continued spread of hot takes surrounding VAR. Um, I hope you like that. That was a line from a feature that I decided not to write. Um, Like at this point, the, the arguments have to be surrounding implementation. How do we make this better? How do we fix this process? And I mean, there are some ways you could fix it. Like personally, I don't think coaches should be near the VAR so they can just yell at the a referee and influence their opinion of it. Or if they do, they should just get immediately booked. Um, you know, I remember back a few times, I think it was a Melbourne City were playing someone, I'm not sure who, and Kiznobo just yelled for about two minutes at the referee making the VAR. Yeah, I, like that shouldn't be happening. You shouldn't have coaches trying yelling at referees for extended periods of time while they're making the VAR. But 
I don't know. Then it's just, I don't know. It comes back to just the automate, just the attempt to automate everything involving football, isn't it? We want protect, we want perfection, and increasingly we're willing to pursue perfection at the expense of human involvement and human error and human ingenuity. The essence of the sport. Like. Yeah, 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 exactly. We don't like like we don't like the fact that mistakes are made, but mistakes are made because they're human, and the good things only look as good as they do because they stand in contrast to the mistakes. And the ineffectuality. It's I'm not sure how many fans of romantic poetry we have, but it's like Odo Melancholy by John Keats. You can't have the good times without the bad times. You can't have beautiful football without ugly football. You can't have great games without shit yes, games. Well, otherwise you've got nothing to compare it to. Yeah, no, oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah, like it just gets back to that. We're trying to get rid of error all error in football and in the process of doing that we're losing the very essence of what football is it does open a massive can of worms when you're going back through pouring through game footage and working out the counterfactuals to every situation like that's a foul therefore you know it, it just irritates me like i i don't care about the decision being accurate if this is the cost if this is what we have to live with for the decision to be accurate i'd rather just have some wrong decisions from time to time honestly like everyone just grow up like yeah you know. like this is the thing because you know essentially the populace is happy with neither outcome mm-hmm. and uh, while uh, that was actually one thing that really struck me with uh friday night uh, because it was the first time, you know, since the international break that I'd actually gone to, gone live to an R Liga game. Um, it was that it was uh, that the process, so you know, the the trawling through footage was also shown on the big screen. And I mean, that's when when we talk about you know coaches pressuring referees into decisions while you know while deliberating over over you know over an intervention through VAR, the crowd the crowd could be even more impactful in that respect, um, you know, getting the referee to hurry up. Now do I believe, uh, now do I believe, you know, Sean Evans, uh, let's say, did he make the right decision? Yes, but does it, um, does it disqualify the inadequacies into how they got there? Um, no, um, but at the same time, I mean, getting to the football, I don't really like talking too much about refereeing decisions. Um, Wellington didn't respond well at all to going down 2-1. Like, they collapsed. Um, and this was something talking about, uh, you know, talking about how different do they look with, uh, Lewis and Rufa in that side. They probably don't go to three at the back, but at the same time, you know, the way in which Tale has used uh, Piscopo and Old, um, you know, his, his, his love for the Chad, who is evidently not great. Um, the Chad. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, this team's going to play finals, man. Like, With a minus. If there, if there is it now. Minus, minus seventeen. Yeah, minus seventeen. Mm. That's that's before even that's even before taking into account their 
you know their extra goal difference as well, which is which is not um, not ideal. Um, yeah, this team's going to play finals, and it'll be let's say if they win, if they if they if they're not you know out in the first out in the first round, it'll be seen as a successful season, even though they played like dog shit for the majority of it. Um, apologies, I think someone did turn on my microwave. Uh, to answer one of the questions, <laughs> um, <laughs> this really needs to get sorted out. But anyways, um, in terms of that, Ante as well, like you mentioned, you know, just how they're going to fall ass backwards into the finals. I mean, it is quite baffling that this pit of mediocrity has, you know, sort of just thrown them up and thrown them into it because they've been able to house enough tight wins in the process. Like they have had some batterings, like, there's, as you mentioned, like that goal difference, like there's been some five nils, some six nils. They've leaked goals for fun. They've lost a lot of players like, you know, Alex Rufer, Clayton Lewis. Um, please, you know, enlighten me if I forget anyone's getting David late. Ball as um, well is a big one. Well, well David Ball's going to play apparently with a broken foot. Like he's going to yeah. play through finals on painkilling injections just to get through an hour. Like he's in a moon boot all week. <laughs> wow. They're pumping him in. That's basically a serious with- football manager move. Yeah, like <laughs> you're right. Hey, 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 you tracking, man? Like, yeah, like God knows how mangled his foot is going to be by the time finals are over. Like, this guy could be, it could, who knows how big of a surgery he needs? I think he's torn like a ligament in his toe or something. Like, it's, it's nasty. Um, he can't train. He's just, he's just doing all he can to be out there right now. And that kind of sums up Wellington right now. So, look, I think they're going to get bounced in the first round if they're not playing at home. Just being realistic, um, unless unless they might play Western United, who they're kind of you know Western United are kind of their like Wellington, who they did beat. Well, yeah. Wellington's got Wellington's got the wood over Western United. I don't think uh, Wellington's actually not lost against Western United since Western United's first ever game. Like it's an amazing West, stat because the Knicks give them the ball. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, it's, it's unreal, but um. Yeah, like you know, watching them the other night, that was quite uninspiring. Like you know, it was it seemed inevitable that victory were going to you know kick ahead at the end. Um, you mentioned Nick Pennington. Well, I I joked you the other day about Nick Pennington. I mean, for a guy who spent three years around some ballers at Cagliari, guys like Joel Pedro, etc. I don't know how he hasn't picked up on a few tricks and you know sort of developed his game into something more because I've been quite uninspired by him. I thought he was. From seeing nothing, I thought, okay, he's been part of the Kajati system. He must be, you know, at least a decent level. But uh, I've been very disappointed by his output since coming along. But he has to play right now because they have nobody else. And that just goes to show the level of their injuries. You know what? Victory before the penalty as well um, for 2-1. You think about it, like, speaking of the shots they get, the shots teams get in the penalty area, the only the only shot victory had in the second half until that penalty was that uh, was that Rojas volley that he snatched at um, at the top of the box. Other than that, the only shot the only shots they had in the penalty area in the first half as well, despite you know an overwhelming majority of possession and spaces that Wellington are giving them to exploit. Um, yeah, it, it was. It's I guess. <sighs> Uh, like I said, the primary dynamic in this game was Wellington's response to going down two one in the penalty. Um, you know, they 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 just collapsed. And the thing about victory, they they you know, the ceiling is questionable, but they do play for ninety minutes. 
that that that's sort of you know the point. You got a sense even if they weren't creating much that they were just going to get that one chance, like they've done in some games this year and just taken it. I mean, look at the Adelaide game; they played recently on the road, like they didn't play well, but they had one good chance and it was enough. They were to put bodies behind the ball. There was that Mariners game here when uh, Nishan scored with literally the last kick of the game, and they created nothing, nothing for the entire game, and they had one chance and they won it. And the way Wellington def- were defending was, you know, I don't know what they were doing with that back three. Like, well, that was the most narrow back three I have ever seen. And they, they were just letting victory go down those flanks. And you got a feeling that the goal was going to come, even if they were creating chances those moments. Eventually, the cross spam, the constant phrase forward, it was going to pay off for them, I thought. That's like, what happens when you play a 4 2 2 2 for your entire tenure. The players don't know that the wings exist. They they, they just can't see them. But at the same time, no, like Victory only used the wings when the game opened up and like it started to stretch. Like you look at the first half and Victory was still playing very narrow with their um mm. with their wingers coming in and you know, as as you see with Victory for a lot of this season, you know, their their back four in possession still stays very flat. And so although Wellington were giving them a lot of lot of width and essentially territory as well. They weren't, you know, really utilizing it and opening up the pitch. They were playing a lot. They were trying to, you know, the, the middle of the pitch was clogged. And even though, like, if the middle of the pitch is clogged, you can't play through the middle in the specifically in the way that Victory likes to play through the middle of the pitches through third man actions, like Brimmer, you know, like Brimmer and Daggers. They're not really going to ask for ball to feet, and you know, with the Rojas coming in as well. And Falami, whether they're really going to be able to do anything with the ball when they do receive, because the pitch, like the area, the playing area, is just so clogged. I mean, victory weren't weren't very inspiring in possession either. It was uh, like it was just it was just a response to you know two one. Still have to give them credit for the third goal they scored, which was back to front, beautiful play through the press, worked all the way from their own corner and to the cross to free Rojas. Like that was a nice goal. It was a and nice action. It, that's but... a sign of progression based on where they were at the start of the year where we saw that horrendous Western United Melbourne victory game <laughs> in Geelong where every time victory were pressed at all, they just hoofed it <sighs> You know what? Well, I, I, I still think that was one instance. I was, I was speaking about this in, in the box with the guys. Um, you know, We're talking about how Wellington were pressing in that passage or that phase of the game and victory were... were struggling to play out and became very chaotic and so you started to be started to play from box to box and you know what the one time that victory ended up playing through them ended up scoring um yeah uh it was it was a weird weird game to be honest uh can i give a quick update guys because right now we've actually got something big for the coefficients right now a uh, bit of forza coefficient which is actually not working in australia's favor because Vissel corbe have taken the the title of uh, of pantomime villain when it comes to our coefficient because they've just leaked an equalizer against Kitchy. Now, if Corbett basically win this game, uh, Melbourne City do progress to the next round. And right now, Kitchy are going through ahead of them as one of the second-ranked teams. So I, I don't know if it Remember just has to be a the, one the, goal. The loss. results, the results against the last place team do not count because of the. No, no, no yeah, that, that's that's with all those calculations in. Yeah, no, so that's I, why I'm I, just reminding people because yeah, people are going to yeah. look at the table and say twelve points here through. Yeah, so I, I'm also not remember sure that resources to... is why Australian teams struggle in in you know in, in Asia. That's um yeah look just just on that I mean I think it is Kobe only need one 
I think they just have to win by a goal and literally. Oh, they just need to win and City. Yeah. So City have had every chance to progress from this, like into this next round of the Champions League, and if they're waiting at this stage of the tournament, relying on other results, I'm sorry. I know there's been talk about they've had it tough with some COVID cases in the squad, some injuries, and they've been undefeated. But this has been quite underwhelming. I'm not going to lie. This that whole Asian Champions League campaign from them has been really underwhelming. Um, it's been and, very. You know, you know, he scored yeah. the goal for Kitchi, by the way, Dayan Damjanovic, who is so powerful that he can destroy Australian football when he's not even drawn in the same group as us. <laughs> oh man, you know Champ- what? Like Asian Champions League's Latan strike. I don't. I don't really want to get into it, but City and Sydney have been ass in mm. the Champions League, man. And this is and, not and about resources. And City got the weakest design. draw that an Australian team maybe has ever received in the Asian Champions League yeah, stage. I wrote about this I, years ago. This is not about poverty of resources. This is poverty of thought. We struggle in this environment, man. And we struggle against differing environments and unknown kind of uh, the, the need to adapt in unknown environments. And you wrote about it too, Joey, like specifically with respect to... City and how is PK going to adjust when he doesn't have ten hours of game film on the opposition? Uh, it hasn't hasn't been good. It hasn't been mm. good to be honest. When you say well, need to adjust, the complete lack of adjustment. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, as uh, Nick Dubano goes to get some more microwave popcorn, uh, let's go to this question from Stephen Paletti on Twitter. Uh, they ask tnc football could a solution to var be to actually implement the ability for the ref to stop the game time slash clock until a decision has been reached so reached so we aren't losing game time ostensibly that's what already happens because we're supposed to make up this time in injury time and stoppage time but that's not what what happens i mean i think stoppage time for the knicks victory game was one minute less than the var stoppage and that's, that's not even taking into account all the other stoppages that happened in that half as well. So like that's, I don't think that's necessarily the answer to this sort of stuff. And then that doesn't also address it's something that Tony Popovich mentioned as well. That's seven minutes that the VIR is checking. That's seven minutes when the players are just standing on the field, walking around, not doing a lot. They're getting, um, you know, they you know, their mindset is all over the flow of the game is ruined. Yeah, Irrespective the game flow like, is ruined. Momentum is ruined. Their muscles are tightening up as they're not running. It's 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 a litany of problems that arise. Not like the loss of game time is undoubtedly a big one, but there's a litany of issues that result from these extended breaks in play. It's one of the reasons why ad breaks in during games was so shit because we were having stoppages that were completely interrupting the flow of the game. And fuck oh off. Um, and now and now VAR the the, the lengthy time of the VAR is just another one of these like I said VAR is not going anywhere I'm not going to I'm not going to loot I'm not going to waste any emotional energy worrying about whether or not VAR is coming or going it's now how do we improve it I still think we should be world leaders in football and just abolish the damn thing just that that that's how we can be, you know, forward thinkers. The A League wants to be seen to be a, a leader, to be, you know, pushing the boundaries, to be, uh, yeah, the the first the first to try things. And I think we should be the first to adopt VAR and then get rid of it. Um, let's. Uh, any further thoughts on the victory game? 
shake of heads all around. Let's go to the APL really hyping up the research uh, that they've done into match minutes for under-21s players. Apparently, we're eighth in the world for leagues in terms of total match minutes or percentage of match minutes for players under the age of, was it 21 or 23, Joey? 21 and under, I believe. There you go. It was weird. So some what, of what are the, we complaining the, about? Some what of the language in the article. We're so spoiled. You know, we, we can't, you know, we don't know how good we have it, apparently. None of this is bad news on the surface level. Like, this is actually, like, this is good news with qualifiers. That's what it is. This is this is good news surrounding steps being taken on a journey. It is not good news of surrounding a destination being reached. It is signs of progress and improvement compared to the very, very low base that Australian football had. But I think minutes is one thing. Utilisation, the responsibility that players are given and the type of minutes youngsters are given is another thing. Because, like, in the wake of this report, I went and looked up, like, we're talking about the amount of minutes that youngsters are playing. So I went and looked up the number of players aged 21 and under in the A-League men's this season that have played at least 50% of their team's minutes so far this season. It is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Six outfielders, because that includes Joe Gauchi, the Adelaide United goalkeeper. So there are six Australian six, Joey? How many of them are fullbacks? (laughs) The six are Kai Truen at Brisbane Raw, Ramanik Bari at Brisbane Raw, Joe Gauchi at Adelaide, Josh Rawlins at Perth, Lewis Miller at Central Coast, Thomas Aquilina at Western Sydney Wanderers, <laughs> and Marco Tilio, and Marco Tilio at Melbourne City, with the qualification that if Marco Tilio does not start and does not play um, pretty much close to at least an hour to ninety minutes of Melbourne City's first game back in Australia after the ACL, he will fall under fifty percent of available minutes thus far this season. Can I just butt in one quick point about Tilio as well, Joey? And we know this is a weird thing with him, is that it depends. Like, we know PK's got his set 11, so he only plays if Metcalf or if Berongay or if one of the front three aren't available. And he never is. Even he can put together, I think he puts together like two or three man of the match performances in a row, but one of them came back, right back to the bench again. So that's the little qualifier with that. Did that include Jacob Farrell? I don't know if I missed that one as well, Joey. Or was he? Think, let me hit control. Because I think he's played. Well, he's another. He's another fullback. But oh, no, he, he's in there as well. They just haven't actually put yeah. his age on the spreadsheet. So there we go. Add one more to that. But he's and they're all fullback. basically fullbacks. Mm-hmm. Is fifty percent of available minutes like a too high a bar to set for the A League for under twenty ones? It's important. It's important given given the given the total amount of minutes that you know A League teams play because they're not really playing over forty games in a season. Yeah. So when you think about it, like it, it gives more, like it, it creates a greater necessity for kids to see these minutes. So they have to see more minutes because of just the lower total of games that teams play because they don't have, you know, multiple cup competitions. They don't have, you know, let's say playing or, you know, domestic and continental cup competitions, for example. So you really only have 
about 30, 30, you know, about 30 games, 30 or, you know, th- between 30 to 35 games in a season of competitive, you know, first team football. So you kind of like it creates a necessity. But the reality is, like we said, you know, well, as I, as I wrote earlier in the season, the issue is not simply the minutes they receive, but the, the scope given to various profiles. And, you know, even, even in that short, even in that small sample of data, it's pretty clear that, you know, what type of profiles are given more scope in the A-League men's. And, you know, that's existed traditionally as well. So, I, I mean, any any look past the surface level for Australian football is almost you know almost impossible. But something speaking, you know, we made mention to Geraldo um, or Shane Henry before on this on this show, and he made a very very good point and something that I, I you know, didn't really want to didn't really want to make because you know because of my gimmick as a drainer. Um, Australian football seems so keen to, let's say, grasp for the positive or something that seems like a positive in this current you know, point in time and this current climate of Australian football. It's it's willing to look past or not, you know, look past the surface level and not, you know, really examine what exists and why it exists under the surface level. Um, and any commentary in... in in contrary, or you know, in in contrast to that look past, you know, to that you know, to that very generic and basic look, is seen as um, you know something that's destructive. I want to go back to this comment earlier when we were talking about Adelaide that I think is is relevant uh, from Antonis. Uh, I've already Vart forgotten things, what, everything we said. Vart said things didn't work out how he wanted first half versus Perth. That midfield trio had never played together before. How do you expect them to shine when you give them forty five at the end of the season? Hey, let's let's throw them in the deep end and then you know, and then bin that's them because it doesn't work. That that, yeah. that that little comment there yeah. from Antonis. That's, uh, that's speak, not, that's not just That's across the league. It's throw them in the deep end when they haven't been adequately prepared or given scope earlier. Like Perth youngsters now, out of yeah. necessity. You know, and how good, how good we got all these young players, you know, copying it and copying, you know, six nil most weeks. And, you know, that that's, that's not good for a player's development. It's just going to crush their confidence. And the other thing, the other reason why A-League coaches always go default back to veterans is they're easier to coach. You don't have to do as much because they already know how to play. It's not just that, but like you have to, you have to deal with things like risk and consistency and, Exactly. Yeah, coaches coaches don't want to deal with that shit, and the 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 franchises or the organisations who hire these coaches let them let them you know they they live with that because they want to win or they want to make finals. And, you know, fuck. Like, uh, I, I'll I'll just say that I'll just say that I have a very um a very different interpretation of what constitutes success, success in the elite than. I bet. I, I've just actually I've just noticed complete non sequitur. Um, K-pop has the Twitter account for K-pop has posted a clip of one of Celtic's goals, apparently from a boot by ripping a bootleg highlight clip from an account with two Media followers. Works. 
in a language that is either Spanish or Portuguese or one of these Mediterranean accents. What? That's the oldest trick in the book to avoid a copyright claim. You, you just use the iPhone tweet video function from somebody who's already posted it. That's They do it all the time and you get all the metrics. It's It's the biggest con on Twitter. The uh... Just, uh, listen. Anyway, I want to um, I wanted to get back to something that piqued my interest. I think because I think it's a really valuable conversation to have around what Ante said about grasping the positives. It's it, I don't really have a point about this. It was just like something that Ante's come up, and I think it's something I wanted to discuss because it is something that, as a journalist, you know, ostensibly working every single day in footballing industry like probably not a di- a not not an hour goes past in my life when i am not thinking about australian football at some point or a story that i'm going to pitch or a story that i need to write or work that i will have later in the week i'm thinking about australian football all the time and it's something i genuinely struggle with like when you know positive versus negative framing of things when do you write when do you try to find the positives versus when do you point out the negatives? Because even negative, like what is perceived as negative and how you frame it is is, yeah. is very is very polarized. Because I mean, like, I'll, it's something that I like struggle with even from a mental health perspective. Because like, I don't like there are obvious challenges and you want to talk about them, but at the same time, constantly dwelling on negative stuff even in a footballing sense, isn't good for one's own mental health and well-being if you're constantly focusing on bad things and, you know. So, like, I don't know. Like I said, I didn't have a point. I just think it's a – and I think there's a perception that a lot of journos like to shit on the game just because. But, like, there's a lot of stuff in the game that needs working on as well. And it's a case of you kind of feel damned if you do, damned if you don't. If you don't point this stuff out, how is it ever going to improve? And how are you, how are you supposed to bring this to the attention of the a the people can fix it and b the people that can demand they fix it? But at the same time, you don't you want this game to succeed. You want people to be excited about the game. You want to enjoy what you're doing. You want to enjoy your football and write about stuff like positive and happy stuff. It's it's a lot you're a lot happier when you're writing about and you're talking about happy stuff. This is like I said, I have no point. This is just, it's a, it's something I think about. I've been increasingly thinking about a lot Mm. in recent weeks and recent months, this positive versus negative framing. And is there a healthy balance? Is, is there a right balance? Does there need to be a balance? I don't know. I mean, for me, I'll be honest, like, okay, we're getting into areas now. And I said, I was going to go to sleep after this segment, but, um, uh, look, I, I think there's a need to. I guess there's a need to remove oneself sometimes, and there's a need to just essentially detox. <laughs> the, the, the international window provides that for me, but then, then, then again, the international window I, I is now. Is, has a d- d- you know, strategy. <laughs> you know, look. Uh, at the end of the day, sorry, uh, I just want to actually now go back onto something that that Joey says. Like, what what do we want from? I guess you know, in this in this environment in terms of what we're writing about, what we want from it is for me, ultimately it's like, I just want a national team that I can be proud of. 
and the national team and a national team that represents a represents a structure that is healthy. At this point in time, we have neither. And until we examine that, then you know, we're not going to achieve that. But we have to examine it. And this this topic in particular is um, or let's say, you know, a very generic and very binary look at the, a look at that is is essentially an equivalent to burying one's head in the sand. It's uh you know what? Like I don't know, like I feel like, you know, we all just sometimes like I th- feel like people look at as you said, Joey, we that people see journalists, especially maybe our pocket, the TNC pocket, as this as the Grim Reapers who just wanna come in and shit on everything that you like and if a young 17-year-old scores a goal in Serie A, no, it's no good. If, if Australia's eighth in the world for youth minutes, no, it's not good. This, that. We do it. And, you know, I think that especially with, you know, Ante and Joey in particular with your work with ESPN and The Guardian, you do it because you care. I mean, if we didn't care, we wouldn't be this emotionally invested. We wouldn't be doing a podcast right now on a Sunday night at quarter past 10 where we're all tired and, and ready for bed. You know, we do it because we care about this sport in this country. We want it to do well because these conversations need to be had. And unfortunately, we haven't had these conversations. A lot of these conversations that have been had have been kind of tailored to one side. You know, a lot of it's been, you know, almost uh, trying to think of the right word here. But it's like there's a almost a thin veil over it. And, you know, that's sort of looked through a different lens. So mm. I don't know. Joey, Mario, what, what Mario I from, well? Oh, sorry, Mario from Doncaster actually making a making a very uh, valid point as well. That one of the few positive stories in this A League season, the box office jets people are absolutely lining up to shit on it whenever they have a bad. I know, games. like literally, it's like you know, there's one team that actually wants to play football, a team that wants to be progressive, a team that you know actually probably plays the be- the best brand in football, but just because you know they're not top of the league, they don't always win every week. It means that they're bad, and we want to shit on them because they're positive. Like you know, the, we'll call them the box office jest, and we'll we'll shit on them because they leak goals. But you know what? They've they've been the most fun part of this entire season. So you know what I hear from you, Joey, as well. I think you definitely need a detox at the end of this final series. Like, <laughs> go on a holiday, mate. At the end of this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> like even even like on your days off, Joey. If you just take a day and just like switch off, man. I, like, I, I don't. I, I, well, that's the thing. I'm freelance. I don't have days off. I haven't yeah, had you a single. You don't have the possi- You don't have the possibility to. You don't have yeah. an off, off button. Like I don't have days off. I haven't had a single day off since the A League season started because I'm always on. Well, but like, I don't want to like like. Obviously, we want to talk like it, it's our framework. Like, but I think I like I think about this as far as Australian football coverage as a whole. Really, the positive yeah. versus negative balance and that sort of thing. And when is you know what is toxic positivity versus what is toxic negativity? What is what are good stories that need to be celebrated because they need to be told and they need and you need to elevate these and let people know so you can give people a reason to believe. And where is that line? These are things that I think about. And I think, you know, like, but I struggle with it as well. Like you talk about my work with The Guardian, Nick. I wrote three Guardian features recently, um, a story about how the A-League model, you know, really half, like about by the end of the season, a third of the teams were playing for nothing, how, you know, relegation. It was, it was you know, critical of the current A-League model. I wrote another piece praising the f3 derby you know go going full wow what a great game guys about the f3 derby 
and then I wrote a piece talking about the problems Sydney FC have had and Sydney FC falling from the perch. Guess which of those three stories, in comparison to the other two, died in the arse? F3 Derby. F3 Derby, yeah. Wow, what a great game, guys. The other two did bits. And this is this, this is something is, that was actually uh, this raised. Twitter, raised this is soccer Twitter when Joey writes something positive about the A League. <laughs> to be fair, I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I'm I'm not so just saying this. It, that, that, that's not me. That's look, the. This is this is that, that's sorry. the entire industry. Like, yeah, the, like yeah, I, my, absolutely. My old this my is, old man writes for the Age. It's the exact same thing. Like positive stories about players. Doing great things, they can't get a run anymore. It's not simply it's not simply um let's say football fandom's appetite for the critical. It's now morphing into something that is you know transparently performative. And that's something that's become even more prevalent, let's say, over the last you know, over the last decade or so, how how performative some of the commentary has been, and you know that exists in that exists in Australian football. That exists, you know, elsewhere, and you know, both from a standpoint of professional, um, like I know, I know, like as an example, like you watch you watch BT Sports Studio whenever whenever Manchester United lose, like it's so completely devoid of rationality. People who are, you know. Not even, not even objective observers in that respect. And I mean, this is this is a, I guess this is a media issue, and it's not necessarily relevant to Australian football, but but it does exist. And um, I, I think, I, I think, at the end of the day, you can. The truth is, the truth is your compass, and. I guess that that's the only thing that can that can lead you. I mean, like we saw that example you talk about Man United. We saw that example in the recent Matildas versus New Zealand friendly. Yeah. Now, in, especially in the first game, when it looked like before um, the Matildas did their never say die thing, people were caught, like people were shitting on it. People were apoplectic about it, despite the fact that that was probably the bit Matildas' best performance <laughs> ever well. under Tony Gustafsson. Yeah. yeah, they had a great. Well, maybe not great. Well, yeah, maybe they did. They were good. They were very good. They, had a, they were good. In the context of their performances, they had a great game, yeah. and like people were still shitting on them. Like, I don't know. Like, like I said, I don't want to make this um, all about me. I don't want to make it all about us. As I said, this is thoughts I've been having around the industry as a whole, and about what, especially, if it, it for covering a game that is already effectively on its knees and has oh, so goodness. little coverage around it already. Let's talk about the AFL going to Paramount. <laughs> yeah, but just like, <laughs> where, where is that? Where is that line between positivity, negativity, toxic positivity, yeah. toxic negativity? Where is the line between shitting on the game versus pointing out? Like, like I said, because I don't have a point. I don't have an answer. I just heard what you were saying there, Ante, and it was something that it's something that I struggle with as a journalist every single day. I don't know the answer. I don't have the answer. I've been making an effort as of late to be try to find more positive stories um, to share without selling out um, my principles 
just because I don't like, like I said, I don't like the negativity. If I'm writing negative stuff all the time, it affects my mental health just as much as anything else. So, but it is like, I, I just heard your thing there and I thought it's a really, mm. it's a topic of conversation that probably nobody has an actual answer to. Where is the line? What do you need to do? But I think there needs to be awareness of it in Australian football that this is something we need to be aware of. We need to be aware of being too negative. We also need to be aware of being too positive. We also need to be aware of taking easy wins and not looking under the surface. And I don't, I don't know, maybe sometimes we also just, not in this case, obviously, because the youth minutes definitely do need further examination to build upon, but maybe sometimes there are Ws. I don't know. Just one like more it's point. Late, it's late on a Sunday night. I'm yeah, just one. I'm probably just, rambling at this point. Yeah, just one more point, guys. You're talking about the line between the toxic positivity and toxic negativity. Can you guys imagine that line? If, say, for instance, in four weeks' time, we're here and Western United's won the championship, like what the discourse is going to be like around that? Just in a just talking about a hypothetical world, because we're going to have that constant discussion. Yeah, they won, but. Yeah, they won, but, you know, just putting it out there. So I'm very curious to see what that sort of discourse is like after that because we saw when City won it. But what about if Western United won it in those sort of circumstances as well? Well, Fantasy run, their memes, run their memes pointing out that we have gone well past the 90-minute mark. It's, uh, it's tic-tac time. And uh, hold on, hold on. No, I needed to share with everybody the greatest penalty of all time. Oh no! If 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 you are of a certain Anglo persuasion or of a certain English age, you might have seen a show called Nick Hancock's Footballing Nightmares. I showed a clip of it. The the worst penalty slash best penalty of all times are the Ante Nick and Anna Harrington in the box, and I think Ante took about five minutes to recover. So here, in all its glory, for those watching on the stream, Peter Devine. Number one, Peter Devine. Poor old Peter. <laughs> the voiceover makes it so much better. Poor old Peter. <laughs> it sounds That's like perfect. it sounds like a bad Spider-Man villain talking to I, oh. I didn't even realize that the soundtrack was was over that. It was just the clip on its own. Just the the trip. Oh, the, the little puff of dirt that comes up. The the goalkeeper consoling him. It is just... Oh, it's hilarious. <laughs> that's that's a work hilarious. of art. All right, I think that's a good place to end the show. Thank you for your company tonight, fellas. We will catch you again next Sorry week. for getting so heavy at the end. Ciao, ciao. Good night, everyone.